Hello, you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. This episode comes from a live show that we did on October 15 in 2018. The show features a conversation we had with two of the journalists from American Public Media's In the Dark podcast. We chatted with them about their process and procedures for creating both of their series, the first about the abduction of Jacob Wetterling in Minnesota, and the second on the legal trials of Curtis Flowers in Mississippi. Unfortunately, we had a minor technical difficulty, and we only have the audio from the question and answer portion of our show. We apologize for the error, but hope that you enjoy it. Our media sponsor for this season was MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can find out more information at MinPost.com. Now, who has a question that they would like to ask our guests? Yes! First of all, I love your show. Thanks. But what is your favorite podcast? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, man. Madeline knows what I'm going to say. You can't that. say in the dark. <laughs> um, I know what Samara... Well, why don't, you, why don't you tell people what you're listening to? I highly recommend a podcast called Uncover, Exposing... No, uh, Escaping Nexium. It's about a cult... And it's really good. It's from the CBC. That's also like a multi-level marketing scam. Yeah, it's an amazing podcast. I talk about it to everyone, and it really, it's highly recommended. Madeline, what do you think? I don't have a single favorite one. Um, We were just both talking a lot about this podcast, Reply All, and they just had this great two-part series about the history of CompStat, like the computerized policing, and they traced it back to this one guy this very eccentric guy who had a bold vision that led to disaster, and it's a great two-part series. Yeah, really good. Other questions? Yeah. How do your finances work? So, so how do you get paid? How does all that work? <laughs> yeah, so we're part of American Public Media, so we're part of Minnesota Public Radio, and so we're supported through, like, the... Through all the same ways, I mean, basically the public radio that supports Minnesota Public Radio. So neither of us are like the finance department, but um, our funding comes from um, mostly members and people that give for investigative reporting, um, and then the company just deciding to allocate money to our work. Like this is a big investment by American Public Media that, and they've really made a point of saying that they want to invest in this work but it's a lot I mean it's a lot to it's expensive it's a lot to ask you know five people full-time living someplace else but um yeah and we do we do sell underwriting too that's so right we do yeah. have ads on our ads on our show but that's not that doesn't cover our costs I'm yeah. surprised you didn't mention that there's a membership drive going on right now <laughs> <laughs> there's a membership drive going on <laughs> What's been your biggest scoop? Hmm. Like in the podcast or? Or like the information that you've uncovered that you've been most excited to share. Hmm. I don't know. I really don't know the answer to this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's like, I think there's maybe an idea that, that investigative journalism is like, characterized by these these really dramatic moments where like in the dark of night someone like gives you the manila folder full of like the secret codes and that's just it's not how most of our work works like it's it's really just a process of like working and working and working and working and And then finding things out and like slowly realizing like i actually think this is going on what could it be caused by this and it's like a very slow process of 
a thinking. I mean, there have been, like, I have done stories before that involve whistleblowers that are more kind of directly, like, wow, this is happening type of stories. But our work is really much more, even, like, the most dramatic, seemingly dramatic moments in our work um, actually are never dramatic when they happen at all. You know, like, these key moments that are, you know, we spend a lot of time on in the podcast, when they happen... We're always immediately asking questions like, okay, did they really mean that? Like, did they actually say that? What about this? What about that? And it's not until, like, like we're really not fun, I guess, is, like, another way of saying this. It's, like, because we're so cautious about what the findings might mean that it's really often not until we sit back and do the writing that we really have a sense of, like, okay, this is what we have. Um, I don't know if that helps answer that. Other questions? Yes, in the back. I love In the Dark. Thanks for making it. When I listen, I am often infuriated. I'm wondering, do you go there? And if you do, like, how do you manage your emotions? Because you sound so calm <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, there are things that we find out that are definitely the sort of things that make you angry. Like, how could they not? Um, I think for us, like, you know, we're so focused on, like, doing our job and confirming all the things that that like once we step back and reflect on something or we just play it, then there's like time to have other emotions about it. But like while it's happening, like whether it's like a particular interview where you're just like really in the zone of that interview and you're really not thinking like, I can't believe this person is saying this or like this is so infuriating. Like you're really just thinking about like what is the next question and then it's often like, you know, not until you hear it that you're really feeling much of anything because there's something like technical almost about what's going on in an interview. But... But yeah, I mean, we're glad that it, it that the stories provoke that kind of reaction because it should matter to people. Like, if we're doing our jobs right, people should be angry about some of the, the injustices that are out there. So I think that that has been very clear, especially, like, in the last season, that that is something that is a common trait of our our show, basically, that we sort of specialize in that particular type of outrage about Systemic injustice, I would say, right? <laughs> yeah. Our brand is outrage. Yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> it's very motivating for people yeah. who use it in exercise and other yeah. aspects of living. Hi. How far along have you gone yourselves and your staff, time-wise, on a story before you realize there's nothing there and you need to switch to something else? A couple that's months. A good question. Yeah. And that's like a really important part of the process because we, yeah, like when we're, when, we're, when we're landing on a story, we are reporting out multiple stories at the same time because we want to make sure we make the right decision for what we're going to focus on. And because so, we just don't know. So right. we might start with like 15 story ideas and then, you know, like 10 of them go away really fast because they're absolutely nothing and you can figure that out in a week. And then maybe there's five that are left or like in the case of season two, there were three that were left for a few months where all we're really doing is like trying to destroy that story, like, like make it not a story, like find the, you know, the, the, the best facts or worst facts, you know, like um, that would kill the story. So because that's the thing with investigative reporting, it's like just because you have a question does, doesn't mean there's something wrong. Like you might find out that it's not, that everything is basically okay. Or that the point that a question might be raising is not part of like a larger injustice. So it might be just like a fluke. Like this happened one time, it basically never happens. Those are the stories that we try to not do. Yeah, so it's like a really, it's a crucial part of the process and it's, it's just like always in our mind that this is not waste. Like it's not waste to spend two months on a story that we end up killing. It's not waste to spend like two weeks writing an episode that just 
goes away. Like, it's just part of, of, of what has to happen. Yeah. Other question right here? In that same vein, the Jacob story, you went down that story headed toward a different path because the, the end came to you while you were making the story. So where were you headed with the story originally? So it was always the same story. So the question in that, that story was always, why hadn't, hasn't this case been solved? And then when it was solved, um, which was basically like right before we were going to put out the first episode, but after we'd done our reporting, um, the question shifted to, why did it take more than two decades to solve? So the, and there were things about that happened in that case that we all now know that strengthened some of our conclusions about like what were some actually some very key mistakes, um, and so we could be more precise in the writing. But it didn't change as much as you might think. And then also, I mean, just the nature of our reporting, it's like, we just want to find stuff out. Like, we actually don't like mysteries. You know, it's like this idea that, like, something is not solved is not good. You know, and so I think that's, like, another thing, too, that maybe differentiates us from, like, a lot of true crime. It's like, no, we want all of this stuff solved. Like, we don't, you know, so I think that we are glad that, that as far as the timing is concerned, that we are able to bring those facts as to what actually did happen into the podcast and then we ended up starting from a place of no mystery. Like, here's what happened, um, which felt more comfortable anyways, uh, journalistically. Other questions? Yes, in the front. Now that you have two seasons out and published, just thinking about the differences and your reflections on them, were there any difficulties you faced in reporting closer to home with the first season hmm. on Jacob's case? Hmm. I don't know. I, I think it was the second season was more challenging of a reporting. I mean, just the scope of it was much larger. Um, there are just more people to talk to. Um, so I think that was more of a challenge. Um, I think having like lived in Minnesota, neither of us are originally from here, that is an advantage because you have something in common, you know, like if you're trying to talk to someone or just like you sort of know the deal. I mean, it's an hour and a half from here. It's not that big of a deal to go there and talk to people versus like season two when we were like, you know, more than a thousand miles away. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that that story had the season one story had been covered so much in the local news. It's like as you know, it's like the most covered story in Minnesota, probably. Um, but I think and so that could have been a disadvantage. But actually, I think we felt like the question we were asking of that story had not been asked before. So there had been tons and tons of coverage, but we hadn't really seen people asking this question of like, what went wrong here? Like, why hasn't this been solved? Um, and so the coverage then became helpful because it you know it, it provided a whole bunch of uh, like a place to start, uh, which we didn't have nearly as much of in season two. And then the people we talked to, you know, had not really been asked certain kinds of questions themselves either, you know, so it was just an interesting process of reporting a, a story that seems well known, and yet there was so much we didn't know. Is there a question over here? I do have a question. <gasps> <laughs> um, so I know you have a lot of big fans. Uh, including my wife, my, my sister-in-law, my next-door neighbor, my godmother to my children. Um, but you have to have people that really aren't fans of you guys. Maybe something that you've uncovered, or maybe they, has anyone ever tried to shut you down or been, I guess, nasty? Have you been able to... I'll let you go from there. I mean, 
Sure, to a certain extent. But not really. I mean, usually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the advantage that we have as reporters, it's like, we we're doing this because it's our job. So we go in there, it's our job. We ask these questions, and then like we leave. You know, it's not. So I think whatever risks are taken in journalism are more often taken by sources than by reporters. And I think that, um, you know, we always I mean, yeah, it's it's a profession. Um, we haven't had people, you know, try in any extremely aggressive way to shut down our reporting on, in the dark. Yeah. And a question. Um, I totally enjoy it as well. I wanted to ask a question or just respond on the season two, and you guys talked about Emmett Till, and you went there, and I know recently there's even been talk that they're going to potentially look at some of that again. I wonder, does that bring you some, um, like, gosh, maybe people listen because of, I mean, there's so many things to that, but you were a piece of that, kind of, I think, bringing that back into the forefront as well. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I found that just so moving to even hear some of that, and then the absurdity that they were just, no one was guilty. Yeah, I mean, I just speaking from the perspective of why we included that in the podcast, it felt like a really important part of the story, like a, re a really important context for what we were doing, um, and it felt, it felt like we had to it, it had to be in the story somewhere. So, Like you needed to know that story to understand what was going on. Right. As far as the more recent stuff that's going on with the case, um, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't... We have I no idea why. I mean, yeah. like, the Justice Department has... So the Justice Department has, like, announced that it is basically re reopening in a fashion the investigation, like you're mentioning, of the Emmett Till murder. Um, why that is, I don't know. I doubt it would would be because of our podcast. <laughs> like, I highly, highly doubt that. I mean, like, but I do think what's interesting is, like, when we put something in, like, like whenever we think about what to put into a story to give it context, it just reminds people of that story. And so then, you know, it just creates, like, then, you know, we see it in the news, and we, like, it's something that's, like, like what happened to Emmett Till is sort of on your mind in a way that, like, it might not be if, you know, it wasn't included, I think. Um, and so we always, we can't always... We're like we don't we don't put like history in for the sake of putting history in. On the other hand, so but that was a a story where when we look at what happened in this case that we reported on in season two, um, it would be wrong not to point out the context. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of questions okay. from the stage tonight. <laughs> so my question is as as reporters, because anybody who listens to you for a couple of minutes recognizes that you're trained reporters, and uh, I'm starting to hear things in the news that are that are a little bit troubling to me. I often hear somebody, uh, a, a news anchor, say something like, uh, this other news organization has reported this. We have not confirmed it. As far as we know, they only have one source. And I'm thinking to myself, you just reported it. You sat there on the camera <laughs> like nice and you said trick. it to all of us. <laughs> uh -huh. and, and so I'm wondering about in this, in this world as things are changing, journalistic standards are maybe slipping or we don't know what journalistic standards are anymore. And you're navigating this new landscape um, you've got this sort of, you've got American public media behind you, which gives weight to what you say. But as people in this landscape, how do you feel about, um, because like you said, anybody could do a podcast. Mm -hmm. So so how should we as listeners think about this wealth of things that maybe are passing as reporting that aren't and why what you're doing is reporting and what what's important about that? Do you, what yeah, do you think that's a good question. That? I mean, I think part, so number one is that we do have the benefit of working in a news organization. 
And the reason why that matters is not so we can just say we work for a news organization, but it's because people have an experience with that news organization where they trust it. And so it's like there's a track record of being right that then accrues to us. Like as journalists, all you have is your reputation. And so if you are wrong, if you make a mistake and don't correct it, um, if your organization does that, it's very hard to recover from that sometimes. So I think, but being part of an organization that does have that trust is important. And then also, like in our work, we show a lot of our work. So we show um, like our how we reach certain conclusions so that people can, you know, even like an interesting type of email that we'll sometimes get is like, Somebody, this is like a frequent, I think, thing that happens. So there's always like a couple people after the first episode who email and say like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't like any of this. <laughs> and then like, just because like, you know, we do, we don't like slow walk some stuff. So it's like, I don't agree with that. And it's like, well, you don't have to agree with it or not. But then like episode two or three or four comes around and they're like, oh, okay, fine. Like, I, like, I agree with you now. So it's like, we don't have a right to like have people's trust up front, but we can earn it like by showing our work and by having a track record I mean that's like the other thing too that um you know one of the interesting things about seeing like the um the recent news in the Waterling case with the press conference is like this validation of what we had reported um in, in the dark about that investigation so those things you can point to um but you can't like ask the listeners to trust you like as though, like, it's something they must do, you know? You have to act worthy of trust, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing we can do is just... Like, we we maintain very stringent and old-school journalism standards. Like, we are not... It's not like... It's not like anything we do is being influenced on that level by anything that's happening. So I think think the only thing we can do is just do the work, show what we're doing... Uphold those standards. Like we can't, I can't make rules for all the other podcasts out there. Like they do their thing, um, but I think, like I said, I, it's been very gratifying to see that I think people can tell the difference. Like they, they listen and they know. Like they just intuitively know that that we're doing something a little bit different. So, uh, as was mentioned in um, the program, uh, the Newport Beach Police Department is creating their own true crime podcast in the hopes that it will jar some amateur detectives to get involved in something. And I know we already talked about earlier how podcasting as a medium is very kind of new, but what do you think the future holds for it? Either in your own work or, you know, nobody probably 10 years ago probably would have thought the Newport or the Newport, <laughs> ah, I can't say it, a police department a police would release department. its own podcast like that. Yeah, that, when you told me that the other day, that was kind of crazy. It's, um, I'm not sure if they're going to win all those amateur detectives. Like, gonna, I think those amateur detectives can sometimes be part of the problem. Uh. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I guess to me what that shows is that this format is successful because, you know, police departments get on television news to talk about a case. You know, have you seen this person? They, like, give an interview to a newspaper reporter. And so now they're recognizing, I guess, in this case, that a podcast could be valuable, except, of course, it's totally different because it's, they're not journalists. And I don't know. I'm really curious to listen to this. But also, I mean, I think there's a lot of other questions that this would raise that, I don't know, I just need to listen to it before I, I think about. But just the notion of asking the public to solve a crime, to literally asking them to do that for you, is interesting. Yeah, and I think in a, in, a, in a broader sense, that goes beyond Newport Beach, um, like, I think we talk about this a lot, how the podcast is just the format. Like, it's it's not like, 
it's not like podcasting is a kind of journalism or it's it's just a format the way television is or like the radio is and so there are companies that make podcasts they're just it's like a way of doing advertisement. It's like a narrative way of doing advertisement. There's, there's journalistic podcasts. There's like pure entertainment podcasts. Like it's, it's, these things can all be different in, and share a format, but they're like inherently very different in the same way we wouldn't compare, you know, like an HBO show to a, a TV commercial that a furniture store does. Like there's just like a lot of different um, things that can exist within that format. Uh, lastly, and you can be honest with this because nobody's listening. Uh, do you want to drop any hints about season three? <laughs> don't worry. There's a lot of good secret keepers in the room. Uh, we don't know what we're doing for season three yet. So we're still wrapping up season two, some follow-up stuff. So Do you have some big boxes of documents? No, none. Not yet. Not yet. If anybody has any ideas for things you think we should cover, let us know. But we definitely haven't picked a story yet. Yeah. We, uh, investigate this at apmreports.org is our mm-hmm. tip line. And uh, we'll read all the tips that come in. Yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please give a big round of applause for our wonderful guests, Madeline and Samara. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.